Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and we're talking about the new look Pistons this week. Ben Gulker joins me to go through every transaction the Pistons made this week, and there were a lot of them. We also talk about some of the moves the Pistons didn't make, like not bringing Christian Wood back to Detroit. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. This is Last Jackson. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, I am joined today by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Last, I'm doing pretty good. Recovering from the wildest week in Pistons basketball that I can remember. I don't. I I can't think of a crazier week than this one. This this has been something. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And like we were talking about pre-show, the thing that's crazier to me is that games start in 30 days, right? We we don't know who's on the team yet. Like we, we were, we're recording this at five o'clock Eastern on Sunday. A trade happened like 30 minutes before we started recording, right? Like this could keep going forever. So yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the, the wild week. Uh, do you want to go chronological? Do you have a move in particular you want to start with? What, where are you leaning, Ben? I mean, let's just let's just go chronological. That makes sense oh. to me. Okay, chronological order. Uh, so earliest on the timeline, we have the Bruce Brown trade, which feels like it happened like five years ago now. At this <laughs> point, we uh, Bruce Brown was traded to the Brooklyn Nets for Zanin Musa and a 2021 second round pick from the Toronto Raptors. Ben, what did you think of the Bruce Brown trade? disappointed um you know i feel like bruce brown in a lot of ways is the guy you hope to get out of a second round pick so you know trading him for for musa in a second rounder kind of felt like um you know weaver must just not want to pay bruce brown right so um you know laz i know you're a big fan of bruce bruce really grew on me over the last couple seasons i still think he's got some some untapped into potential obviously a great landing spot for him and, you know, I think maybe he's going to be able to find a more uh, appropriate role for his skill sets where he landed. But, you know, a little bit disappointed. Uh, I was hoping Bruce would be around for a little while. Yeah, I I was kind of struck that, like, they didn't know where to put him positionally, right? It's hard to classify him. He played his most effective role as a point guard, but I don't think the team or the coaching staff, like, saw him as a point guard long term. And so he was just kind of just, like, useful, but didn't really have, like, a delineated role. And so they just decided, you know, instead of paying a guy whose role we're not sure about, we're just going to trade him. And, you know, I wouldn't as like at first it was like, oh, man, like they traded Bruce. This sucks. But like they traded like everyone now. So at this point, I can't even like be mad about like one trade in particular. Right. Like it it just seems that, like their desire was to revamp the entirety of the roster and uh, even guys that we liked. And Bruce Brown was the guy that I liked and he got you know, swept out with the tide like the rest of them. 
Um, the 2020 Toronto second round pick is not going to be a good pick. That uh, was not uh, a great value. And Zanan Musa is, has not been good so far in his NBA career, but he is three years younger than Bruce and is more confident taking off the dribble threes. And so you hope he can be more of a uh, offensive force than, than Bruce was, was looking like he was going to be able to be. But yeah, that was a, that's kind of rough. Didn't love that one. And I didn't think it was a great uh, evaluation of Bruce as an asset, which is something I think we're going to talk about a lot uh, this podcast. But uh, yeah, we since we have so many moves, we just got to keep going, man. Just got to keep pushing through. <laughs> Next move. Uh, they didn't offer Jordan Bone, the uh, two-way player, a qualifying offer, making him an unrestricted free agent. Uh, ben, did you have any thoughts on Jordan Bone? No, I'm fine with that one. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially considering what happened in the draft. I liked Jordan. I liked his stylings, but he was 23, and they drafted a 21-year-old who does pretty much what he does. So I get it. All right, next up, we have a traded a heavily, 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 heavily protected future first-round pick for Trevor Ariza and the 16th overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft. The protections, I think, were um, like 1 through 16 for the first four years, 1 through 10 for the next two years, and 1 through 9 for another year after that, and then it turned into some seconds. So essentially, if, if the Pistons are bad for the next eight years, they don't give up a first round pick. Ben, what do you think of this move? So the philosophy of this move is kind of what I was hoping to see more of, which maybe we can talk about, which is use some of that cap space to, you know, absorb uh, a bad contract or two and have those bad contracts come with a pick. Uh, the protections on this pick obviously are so intense that it's probably not going to matter a whole lot in the future. Right. So um, this I liked. Now, did they make a good selection with the 16th pick? Eh, debatable. Right. Like we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, but philosophically, like this, this signaled to me some creativity, um, which I was happy about. OK. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I also envisioned like they would do more of this during the offseason. That has turned out to not be the case. And I don't know quite how to like categorize my uh my feelings around that and we're going to talk about that a little bit later but yeah like in in the abstract like from a thirty thousand foot view like this is uh this is fine like trevor reza wasn't gonna be a long-term part of this team and would have hated playing here anyway so uh, it didn't matter and the protections are so insane that i i doubt um the Pistons, if this is a pick that's any good, I doubt the Pistons give it up. And so, and if the Pistons are bad for eight straight years, like we have bigger problems than giving up this first round pick. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so I think technically chronologically now we're at the draft because these other trades that I've got listed happened during the draft. So they drafted Killian Hayes at seven overall. Ben, how do you feel about Killian Hayes at seven? So this is a good pick, I think. I mean, roundly and widely praised. You know, I know he was up the top of your big board, I think, uh, Laz. Obviously fits a position of need. You've got massive upside and a very young player. And, you know, obviously fits with Seku, right? Like, you, they've got this connection uh, with each other. Another very young NBA player, right? I think Seku's like around a year older, thereabouts. Um so, yeah, I like this. I mean, you, you go into the lottery, you pick a guy at a position of need with a whole bunch of upside, um, you know, p- 
Pistons drafted a point guard and a point guard who was widely regarded as a solid prospect. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I did have Killian at the top of my big board. Um, I was struck during the draft by how much it seemed like he wanted to come to Detroit, which is not something we get from all the draft selections uh, in Detroit. Um, I think he, he kind of slots in right away, like you said, at, at a position of need. The Pistons didn't have a lot of point guard uh, depth on the roster and kind of still don't. Um, James Edwards III reported or tweeted, I don't know if he that, that counts as a report. Sorry, James. But he uh, tweeted that uh, he expects Killian to start going into uh, next season. And so we will get to quickly see what uh, Killian has to offer at the NBA level. Um, I will say that, you know, he is 19. Generally, 19-year-old point guards are pretty bad. And so, uh, you know, I hope his rookie year is uh, a learning experience and I hope he plays well. Um, But I'm not like looking to, uh, I'm not expecting like immediate returns on this pick, right? Like, I don't think Killian is so, I think Killian's going to be really good, but I don't think he's so good right now that he like makes this team a playoff team or anything crazy like that. Right. Like I like, I like him as much as anybody. And even I don't think that. So just, just keep that in mind when, when we expectation and level set uh, before the season starts. Yeah. And I think too, when you look at uh, Dwayne Casey and his coaching preferences as the coach of the Detroit Pistons, you know, he's made young guys earn it, right? Like Seiko had to earn it. He had to earn it in the in the G League. Christian Wood had to earn it a season ago. Um, so it, it was, it's going to be really interesting to see what Casey's approach is uh, with Killian Hayes. I mean, when I saw James tweet that, I was surprised. I mean, I was I was very surprised. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty much shocked um, because I, I my instinct is Casey's going to favor the vet. Um, and, and this is probably the hardest position to learn as a very, very young player. So... I think we're going to have to watch pretty closely how Casey approaches the very early development of Killian Hayes. Yeah, I think the thing that makes the difference there is Killian doesn't project to be like really, really bad on defense. Mm. And so, and you know, Casey's thing has always been like, you, if you play, you need to defend. Remember, he trusted Bruce right away, right? Yeah, because Bruce true. was a good defensive player. And so um, that probably helps in that regard with uh, trusting Killian with the ball in his hands right away. Um as much as I would love to talk about Killian for 20 more minutes, we got some more moves to talk about. Uh, next up, the uh, Pistons used that 16th overall pick that they got in the Trevor Ariza trade to take Isaiah Stewart out of Washington. Ben, what do you think of Isaiah Stewart? So not a guy who was on my radar at all. I doubt he was me, on very me many neither. Pistons radars, right? Like, um, certainly feels like a reach. Um you know, interesting for them to go get a center, especially when they just got all the centers after this. <laughs> um, you know, I think the hope here is is that he develops a jump shot, right? Like he can be a little bit of a stretch five while still doing some of that traditional center stuff, like grab rebounds, because that I think is emerging as a long term weakness of the roster. You know, I think the concern is 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 his lateral quickness enough to compete and defend the pick and roll and switch when you have to. Uh, and he's going to get thrown into the fire, I would think, pretty pretty quickly. He's going to be part of the rotation, I would think. So uh, definitely surprised. Um, wasn't expecting it. But, you know, if he can develop into a, a stretch five and a useful rotation guy, yeah, I think that that's fair for the second team round pick. Or, excuse me, 16th pick of the first round. Yeah, I think the, the shot is really what's going to make the difference on offense. Uh, Stewart's not like a leaper. He's not like a, an above-the-rim uh, pick-and-roll center. 
And so like that's kind of a problem. He did a lot of his damage at, at the college level out of the post. And like nobody is going to let you post up in the NBA anymore unless you're Joel Embiid and like five inches and 40 pounds heavier than most other centers. And so, uh, yeah, I, I struggle to see how Stewart kind of makes an impact right away. I do think that if the shooting comes along, though, um, like that is a very interesting type of player. It's kind of like the type of player Serge Ibaka has turned into in the latter part of his career, where you're a pick and pop big on one end and a shot blocker on the other. And like that, that would be an effective like player. Um, it remains to be seen if Isaiah Stewart uh, hits that ceiling. But I think if that's what your uh, expectations are for going into this uh, this pick, I like I think that's fine. Um, or if if that's what he turns into, I, I think it's a good pick. And if he turns into a little bit less, eh, there could have been some other guys you could have drafted at sixteen. Um, but it's not like franchise crippling, I don't think. Uh, okay, so that, so next up is uh, the trade. So the Pistons traded Luke Kennard to the. Los Angeles Clippers, Luke Kennard, and four second round picks, four second round picks <laughs> for Rodney Magruder and the 19th overall pick. There was some more stuff in there. I think like technically the Bruce Brown trade got folded into this uh, later, but we're just going to keep them separate uh, for now. So, so Ben, what do you think about trading Luke Kennard and four second round picks for one first round pick and Rodney Magruder? Well, let's start with the bad. Um, you know, I think that's obviously a lot of future assets to give up for a late first rounder. I mean, in addition to giving up Luke Kennard, obviously a talented player who I think landed in about the best possible for a situation for him. Oh, um, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see if he stays healthy. I mean, gosh, what a role for him to be able to play um, with the clips. But, you know, I, I feel like this was a, a bit of an overpay for a late first rounder. Um, so that's the obvious knock on this trade. Four second round picks is a lot to give. And it links back to that 30,000 foot views or philosophical approach to that Trevor Ariza trade, right? Like instead of hoarding assets, all of a sudden they're sending four out with Luke Kennard, who's an asset in and of himself, uh, to go get a guy who probably a three and D type player, but at least, at least does seem like he can, he can shoot the ball. So, you know, the bad part is we're sending away assets. We're sending away Luke Kennard. Um, but the good side is, you know, Luke Kennard was going to get a payday. The Pistons, clearly, if you look at what they've done over the past week, they were not looking to commit huge long-term money to anybody. Yep. So I think they kind of decided, well, we got a chance to get a first rounder out of Luke Kennard. We're going to do it. And then on, the other thing on the upside to me is I, I think Sadiq Bay projects as a useful player, right? I mean, he's got a three-point shot that seems to be reliable. Um, and, you know, the, a 3 and D guy, there's always room for that. And if you can pick one up in the, the late first round, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Yeah, I I don't think this – to me this says, like, we like, they didn't want to play, pay Luke, which makes a lot of – which I don't know if it makes a lot of sense, but it's certainly, like, understandable. Um, you never heard anything about a Luke Kennard potential extension which I always thought was kind of a, a big, uh, big like indicator that something was kind of up. Mm. Excuse me. Uh, the other thing is the the amount of second round picks indicates to me that uh, maybe Luke doesn't have the value around the league that we think he should. Right. The 
the the proposed deal for Canard with Phoenix kind of fell apart over pick protections. Um, we like we we all kind of assumed you could get a late lottery, you know, or early you know fifteen twenties pick uh, for Luke pretty easily, and maybe maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe because of the the injuries, um, teams haven't had a chance to see if Luke is healthy or not. I mean, like you have to pass a physical to get traded and stuff, but teams haven't seen him play, which I think uh, teams would want to see him play, especially since he's been injured for the last couple. He's dealt with injury problems for the last couple of years, and so you want to know, like, if I if I you know if I trade a first round pick for this guy, like, is he going to be able to play for me all season long? Um, and yeah, the but but four second round picks is a lot. Um, I've seen some uh, some talk about how you know. Because Troy Weaver acquired a bunch of second round picks, uh, you know, uh, during this draft, like he, they feel like they can get a second round pick anytime they really need one. Um, you know, that doesn't mean to me that you just like give away your own second round picks. Um, I pointed about I pointed this out in the comments. Like there have been teams that have succeeded um, without you know investing heavily in second round picks. The Miami Heat come to mind, but the way that they've done that is through you know very careful vetting of their undrafted free agents and and uh, like exceptional like top three in the league player development and the Pistons haven't shown that they have the capability to do either of those things right now you know maybe they're counting on their scouting department and uh, and they did bring in a lot of scouts to to you know help uh, with some of that like undrafted free agent stuff but you you don't want to and I need to see that work before i start like you know relying on the fact that they can scout you know guys past the 60th pick um and yeah i like i like sadiq bay who they made with the 19th overall pick that they got in this trade um he projects to be like very solid right away with the potential for more if he can ever learn how to dribble you know take two dribbles in a good decision and and create his own shot i think that would be like an extremely useful player that's um that's a high level role player. And, uh, but if he never learns to do that and just stays uh, a really solid three point shooter with, uh, with good team defense, like that's a, that's a useful player. Um, I don't know if it's, it doesn't have the upside of some of the other guys who are available at 19 again, but um, I don't know. It, he's also like a very high character dude. We didn't talk about uh, Isaiah Stewart's character. He's also a very like hardworking, high character person they've the front office like under Troy Weaver has identified like that as something that they want to bring onto the team and so I do like that I I, like I understand their desire to do that and so that probably factors into the pick as well but yeah like you know this this was uh this seemed like a an under utilization of what you could have possibly got for Luke Kennard but the fact that they couldn't do better for Luke Kennard and presumably they tried makes me believe that maybe that's not the case all right uh and then they traded cash and unspecified future draft considerations. I still have not heard what those future draft considerations were, and I have not heard the amount of cash, but it's just cash. Who cares? For uh, To Utah, for Tony Bradley in the 38th overall pick, which they used to select Saban Lee. Ben, what do you think about uh, Tony Bradley and Saban Lee? Well, I actually was more excited about Tony Bradley than Saban Lee, but me too. Um, it doesn't particularly matter anymore. Um, Saban Lee is not a guy I paid any attention to at all. Um, but I think you know when you look at like the the measurables of all the young guys um, that Weaver is bringing, he seems to like positional versatility and wingspan a lot, 
which kind of suggests to me that he's really looking to build a roster that's extremely fe- flexible defensively, right? Where, and I think if you look at um, the Jeremy Grant signing, this this factors in as well. He he's looking for guys who have wingspans that are a lot bigger than their height, and it, um, you know, you anytime you can buy a second round pick for cash, like. I absolutely love that. I mean, you, you just got to get as many bites at the apple as you can when you're a franchise that's looking to totally rebuild. Um, so you take a shot on a guy who's not at all a guarantee, um, but but maybe turns into something. And, and I'm all about that if it's just cash. Yeah. This is basically like the developmental point guard that they had in Jordan Bone. This is the new version of that, right? He's two years younger than Jordan was, um, much less further along as a shooter. I think than Jordan Bone was even even coming out of college, but uh, yeah, like if this is this is your developmental point guard prospect behind Killian Hayes, I'm fine with that. Um, we'll see if if there is a G League season, uh, he will have some ridiculous highlights in that G League season, and and we'll check in with him, you know, in March and see where he's at. So then, so that was that was what Wednesday and Friday we had free agency, so barely had any time to breathe before. Uh, Ben, the Pistons signed Mason Plumley to a three-year deal worth twenty-five million dollars. What did you think of the immediate, you know, six thirty p.m. Mason Plumley signing? <laughs> All right. So for me, this at the moment, I just felt super confused about this. Really, really disliked it at the time, and I think just had sort of a visceral, visceral reaction to it because it just felt so contrary and counterproductive to what they had just accomplished, which was bring in all of this young talent. Um, I mean, I think with a couple days to reflect on it now, I mean, I, I sort of feel like I understand what they're going for. It seems like they're looking to bring in a guy who is on a relatively short term deal, right? I mean, he is 30, so this makes him 33 when his contract's over. But, you know, a three-year contract is not making or breaking anything. $25 million feels like a bit of a premium you have to pay, but the Pistons kind of always have to pay that premium. Um, And I I think having an experienced, competent, seasoned big man, when you look at the rest of this roster, has some potential upside that I was just not not seeing in the moment, Um, which is maybe just to be sort of a bit of a solidifying force, especially when you've got a really young point guard, right? Like you've got somebody who can be at least a a competent team defender in the middle, Obviously not enough rim protector or anything like that, but uh, a competent um, secondary tertiary option on offense. Um, so I've, I've kind of talked myself into the vision, but, you know, honestly, I don't love this. I, I, I'm not quite sure why you want Mason Plumlee playing 25 <laughs> to 30 minutes a game for you. And that's kind of the money you're paying him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in isolation, this particular pick, it's kind of like the macro versus the micro to me. I like the macro of what the team is doing. This particular contract, I'd rather them have been a little more patient, get a, get a guy who gives you 80% of what Mason Plumley does for 30% of the cost, right? Like, I, I think there had to have been a better option than this one. Um, but I think I've talked myself into realizing that it, it's not it, it's not making and breaking anything. Yeah. I think that the uh, like your the the last point you made kind of about getting somebody who could do eighty percent of what Plumley does at at thirty percent of the cost is is probably true. But I look at what some of the other centers got 
and free agency. The other uh, like fringe starter, good backup centers like Derek Favors got like ten million um, per year. Um, you know, Serge Ibaka got like I think nineteen million over two years, which is like slightly under ten million for for two years. Um, we just saw Juancho Hernan Gomez, who I would think is like. Uh, more of a project big than uh, than like a a, more, a guy you can like you know really rely on. He got three years, twenty one million. Um, you know, we saw Willie Cauley Stein get like two years, um, eight million, and I like that is closer to like getting thirty percent of the production. But I think that if you're if you're starting Willie Cauley Stein, I think you're beginning from a much lower point defensively than the than Troy uh, Weaver and Dwayne Casey like want to, and so. I think that the price is like not it's not amazing. You're not getting amazing value out of Mason Plumley, but I think the price for a starting a center who's going to start, I don't know if he's a starting level center, but he's going to start on this team. Um I think the price is fair. Uh the other thing is that Plumley offers a like vertical lob running lob uh lob threat that we didn't have in any of the other centers that were on the roster. Uh even like even at the time when we had five centers, right? Uh, <laughs> Stewart, not a lob threat. Uh, Julio Okafor, who we're going to get to, not a lob threat. Um, Tony Bradley, who we talked about a little bit earlier as a guy we both liked, but he's not like you know he's a he's not a lo- not a vertical lob threat. And I think that having that guy uh, having a lob threat will be really good for the development of a rookie point guard like Killian Hayes, right? Like having a guy who's a threat to who defenses have to account for, like in the pick and roll probably opens up things uh, in, in Killian's development. And that's, and that's, I think beneficial. So like in, in the micro, I was also kind of well, like at, at this point in free agency, like they hadn't uh, wet strayed in uh, or waved and stretched Dwayne Dedman either. And so at this point it was like, they literally had like five centers on the roster and we didn't know Justin Patton was in the Luke Kennard trade. We were like, okay, like, why, why do they have so many centers? But like after after the dust is settled, I think this is this is fine. This is not great, but this is fine. Not not the dog in the house on fire. This is fine. This is like actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually fine. But yeah, so the the next signing at the Pistons made like three minutes after this was Jaleel Okafor for two years at the veterans minimum. Uh, ben, what do you think of Jaleel Okafor? This is. This is actually completely fine with me. Um, you can always add vet minimum guys. You can always get rid of vet, vet minimum guys. You know, obviously Okafor has had a very troubled tenure in the NBA uh, in terms of his own development, skill set, playing time, all of those kinds of things. I mean, I'm absolutely fine giving him two years at the vet minimum. I don't think we know yet if there's any sort of player or team option on the second year of that. I think the initial reaction was, well, I really hope there's a second year team option. Because if he doesn't show something in that first year, he's obviously not a guy you want to just have taking up a roster spot. Yeah. But I'm totally cool with this. I mean, there's a chance there's something there, however small that chance is. Like if you can take a vetman flyer um, on a guy who was really highly rated coming out of college who just hasn't put it together yet, I mean, you're a rebuilding team. You can afford to do it. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally cool with this one. Yeah, I think so. I don't. I, I don't. Also, I also haven't seen anything on uh, the like the second year team option or second year player option or anything like that. But Julio Okafor, I think, is a. This is his sixth year in the league, and the vetman for him is like two million dollars this year and two point one million dollars next year. And so, like, even if you need to cut Julio Okafor next year, like that, that's fine. It's not crippling. 
or anything. Um, I will say, like you, you spoke about how he's had a troubled start to his career. You know, I read the book about the uh, Sixers process earlier this summer, and uh, it had you know some details about like how his career kind of got started in Philly, and it, it made me feel bad for him. Honestly, like there was there was not um, a proper level of support for what was at the time, I think, like a 19-year-old guy in his first year uh, in the league. And so, uh, obviously, I think he's matured. He's been a little bit more well-traveled uh, since those days. But um, I think I, I think this is a, a relatively good signing. Um, I do remember, Ben, you might remember this as well, that he absolutely busted Andre Drummond's ass <laughs> in one game this year. Yeah. And so... Uh, he has potential to do that, and uh, and so I'll, I'll take the uh, I'll take the low cost flyer on a guy who uh, who can do stuff like that. Uh, next signing, Josh Jackson for uh, cheap. This was initially reported as a vet men. Uh, then James Edwards the third of the Athletic reported that they were using the room exception, which uh, seemed a little bit wrong because the room exception is like four million dollars, and that seemed like a little bit more than what Josh Jackson was worth. But you know, I'm not. We so we don't know the full details of that contract yet. We might get that later. But Josh Jackson is a Detroit Piston. Ben, what do you think of the signing? Sort of, excuse me. Sort of the same rationale, right? Guy who's a little bit younger than Jalil Okafor. Uh, another guy who has had his struggles. Um, and I think there's maybe some questions about maybe character's not the right word, but work ethic, those kinds of things. Um, but certainly a super promising prospect just a few years ago, right? So. Again, maybe a little bit more costly than you'd want, but at the same time, I mean, maybe we'll get to this by the end of the show. I don't think this is a team that's going to be too concerned about how many games they win this year. I think they're going to be much more concerned about developing assets, and this is just another flyer, right? This is just, let's take a shot on the guy who's clearly talented, hasn't put it together, and and maybe this situation works for him. Maybe a coach like Dwayne Casey um, who is all about accountability and character and personal responsibility. Maybe that clicks in Detroit for a guy like Josh Jackson. So uh, I'm absolutely okay with this one as well. Yeah, I think so. Josh Jackson played the bulk of last season in the G league for the Memphis hustle. He was like, you know, he was really effective, which you wouldn't, I guess, be surprised by seeing as how he was like the number four pick in the draft, like, you know, a couple short years ago. Um, but even when he was uh, called up to the Grizzlies, he was, uh, he was he gave them some really effective minutes. And so um, I think that a guy with uh, the skill set that Josh has, the ability to knock down open threes, uh, play make a little bit. He's a very uh, inventive passer from the wing position. And, uh, you know, he's very athletic and get up and down in transition and uh, he uses his length sometimes well, well on defense. Um, I think that's, again, that's a good low-cost flyer. It is also beneficial, I think, to bring Josh Jackson back to Detroit. He was highly recruited kind of out of the Detroit area. He was supposed to go to Michigan State um, with Miles Bridges. Ended up not doing that. That might have been a good decision, might not have been. But uh, you do kind of hope and uh, that he's uh, matured in his NBA journey. And I will say that uh, Amari Sankofa, who's a beat writer for the Pistons this year, uh, worked you know, at in Memphis earlier uh, before he became the Pistons beat writer. And he got to see kind of the progression of Josh Jackson on and off the court uh, up close and personal. And so I would look forward to uh, any kind of uh, reporting or story that Omari has to say about that. Um, 
Okay, Ben. The the next big move we've got is the uh, is the big one. Uh, wait, did they? I forget what order this was in, but I I want to talk about Jeremy Grant now. So the Pistons signed Jeremy Grant for three years and sixty million dollars. Uh, ben, what do you think of this signing? Uh, again, initial reaction is kind of similar to the Plumley one. I was, it's just kind of like why, like how how does this fit? Um, you know, he's obviously still a young player, just sort of approaching his prime. Um, but the the dollar number per year just seemed really big, given all of the really young players that they had just acquired, given the fact that, I don't know, when I look at this roster, I don't see anything approaching a playoff team here. So to pay a guy a whole bunch of money to come in um, just, just kind of seemed confusing to me. Um, I think I've gotten over the initial like wait wait what <laughs> sort of reaction, <laughs> and have started to look a little bit more at him as a player. Um, you know, I think there's obviously I forget exactly what the connection is with Weaver. Did Weaver maybe have a role in drafting him? Is that is that what it was in OKC? He, he uh, Jeremy Grant flourished in OKC. I okay, think. while Weaver was there, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So Weaver's obviously got his eye on something right that he saw. So. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give Weaver the benefit of the doubt there. Um, you know, I think the question mark for me, just strictly from a basketball perspective, is does he have the skills to? Does he have the skills that scale up to a larger role? The reporting on all of this is that Denver was willing to match this contract from Detroit, but uh, Grant wanted to come to Detroit because he could have a bigger role and expand, you know, expand his game, expand his impact, and that that kind of a thing. You know, Denver's not a team that I watched a lot of during the regular season, but I actually did watch them a fair bit in the bubble. And I was impressed with Grant, but I think from a, a critical perspective, what I observed was his offense, I think, was very much generated by the other high skill positions that Denver has. Right, So he was moving well without the ball. Uh, he was getting open looks um, that were generated by other players. And I think he was really able to be productive in sort of this low volume, high efficiency sort of uh, sco- scoring role. So when you look at the Detroit roster, you obviously have to ask, okay, well, do they have that? And I don't think they do. So, you know, the question for him is he's going to have to earn his paycheck when it comes to the offensive uh, side of the basketball court. Now, defensively, that's another story, right? I think we're expecting him to be a fantastic defender. We're expecting him to be extremely versatile where depending on the, the team, he can guard anyone potentially from one to five, right? When they're in some smaller lineups. So I think there's a lot of excitement about those possibilities. Um, uh, but so to me, the questions are twofold. Like one, what does the offensive uh, skill set look like in a bigger role? Does it hold up to larger volume? And then two, like what's the long-term plan here? Um, we, talk, we, we heard a lot about timeline in the reporting, right? Bruce Brown wasn't on the timeline. Luke Kennard wasn't on the timeline. Well, Jeremy Grant's a little bit older than both those guys and is going to make a whole lot of money for the next three years. So, you know, what what is the strategic long-term advantage of, of signing a guy to a big contract like this? For me, that's sort of TBD. Um, Laz, you wrote about this, and you, you had a really good piece about kind of the, the longer-term fit of this odd these odd puzzle pieces, I think is how you put it. So maybe you can help me. Maybe you can persuade me. Um, but, you know, I, I think Jeremy Grant, this is this is probably a fair market value for him. This is probably what he was going to earn. So it's not a big overpay. And he's obviously got skills. Um, so there's just there's some skepticism here. Um, but I'm, I'm not as confused about it as I was the moment that it happened. 
Yeah. I think, I think my pitch to you and anybody else who's kind of like initially shocked at the Jeremy Grant signing is that Jeremy Grant is like the perfect player for the Detroit Pistons after Blake Griffin is gone, which I think is a, it's a safe assumption that the team and Blake uh, probably don't want to be together anymore. Not saying like Blake, uh, you know, is unhappy or is like requested a trade or anything like that. I haven't heard anything like that, but I think, you know, Blake is a guy who wants to win and this team is not set up to win games in the, uh, in the, in the present and in like the distant future, right? They're just, they're just not well equipped for that. Um, and so I think that once you, you give Blake an opportunity to come back, play some games, show other teams around the league that he's healthy and effective and uh, you know, you know, still able to move around. Then I think the, the trade market for Blake heats up a little bit. You turn Blake into uh, some draft assets and some contracts that may or may not be uh, factors in your rotation, and then kind of Jeremy Grant is a is as a he can shine more right that and that that uh, that absence of Blake Griffin as like the the hub of the offense will give Grant a little bit more uh, ability to kind of show what he has offensively. Um, I do think the potential for him is there uh, to be a little bit more offensively, but only a little bit more offensively. I don't think Jeremy Grant is ever going to be, you know, uh, like a guy who you count on to give you like isolation baskets or anything. But I do think that during the playoffs, we we saw a little bit more out of Grant offensively. They asked him to, they asked him to like attack closeouts a little bit more, right? They, they asked him to punish mismatches on switches a little bit more. Um, they played a lot. I was surprised when I looked this up. Uh, Denver played a lot of minutes where Jeremy Grant was playing with two other big men in Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic on the floor. Um, the Nuggets had like a negative net rating in those minutes, <laughs> but you know they played 360 which, uh, minutes of it during the playoffs, which I think is like seven out of like the the bunch of games they played. And so uh, you know clearly there's something there. Um, and Troy Weaver, I think, is again betting on a guy who's uh, high character and, and talented and willing to work. Because, you know, if you remember where Jeremy Grant was when he came into this league, like he was much more uh, ineffective offensively than he is even now, right? Like he wasn't the catch and shoot spot up threat that he is now. He wasn't the dribbler that he is now. He wasn't the, uh, the, he was only he was basically like limited to a you know rim running shot blocking role, and he worked really hard to get himself in a position to be able to do more than that offensively. Um, the Pistons are hopefully eventually going to give him uh, the ability to stretch his legs even more, and then we'll see what he's got right. And if he if he makes it, that's great. You've signed probably because at that point if he's if he's that good offensively. And he's uh, he remains uh, as effective as he was on defense during the playoffs. Like that's an all star player. Like great, you've signed an all star player for three years for for twenty million. That's great. Um, and if he doesn't hit that ceiling offensively, like that's also kind of fine because you weren't doing much else with that cap space anyway. <laughs> and so you know you, you give a guy in his prime a shot to to break out. Um, it remains to be seen if that happens. But uh, but we'll see, right? We'll see. Um, but first, I do think like you do got to trade Blake Griffin, right? Because you're going because right now I think you're looking at like 
um, a Plumley Blake Grant like starting lineup, and like that's weird. That is <laughs> that is very weird. That's super weird. Um, and there's there's not a lot of shooting on this team. I don't know if we're gonna get to like a full accounting of the roster. There's not not a lot of shooting or spacing on this team. So that's gonna make things uh, interesting for for Jeremy Grant. But uh, overall, I I kind of liked the signing. I do think it was a little bit too much, just like on the on the face of it. Um, uh, he he makes like less than Danilo Gallinari, who was a more established offensive player and much worse defensive player, but also has like a, a much a longer track record of being an effective like role player uh, and is a, a longer track record of being like a second third option on a, te- on a team, and so like he's a bit more proven. Um, I think that fans had kind of earmarked this contract amount for Christian Wood. And, and so I think uh, Jeremy Grant is at first going to have to deal with the fact that he's not Christian Wood a little bit from fans. Um, but otherwise, like, yeah, I think this is a this is a solid signing. I would give this is like a like a solid B signing um, and with the potential for, for more if uh, Grant is able to stretch his legs offensively and, and show some things that he hasn't been able to show uh, so far. Yeah, and I think the thing that you mentioned here is Christian Wood. It's the move the Pistons didn't make that I find surprising. I feel like Christian Wood got paid, um, like fourteen-ish million. Yeah, like I mean, I feel like that is a pretty good value for him, given that he isn't quite proven yet. But I think three years, forty-one million was what it was somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question I asked myself is: Is Jeremy Grant nineteen million dollars better than Christian Wood? Um, but maybe they're more sort of mirror images of each other, right? Like Grant is much better defensively. Wood seems to be much better at creating his own offense, at least of as of right now. Uh, so that was a puzzler, I think, too. Like, well, why would you pay Jeremy Grant all this money and let Christian Wood walk? But, um, yeah, I think B, a B, that's that's fair. That's a very fair, well-rounded uh, evaluation of it, Last, Yeah. Actually, let, let's let's talk a little bit about Christian Wood. This is no longer chronological, but I think this kind of flows better uh, with the podcast. And so, what what did you think of uh, Christian Wood only, quote unquote, only uh, signing for three years and forty one million? So, like I said, to me, it feels like a, a value contract for Houston. I think technically, did this get rolled into a sign and trade so Wood could get a little bit more money than he could outright in free agency? Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah, I mean, there's. There's lots of still unanswered questions about Christian Wood. So I guess on the one hand, I'm not terribly surprised that he didn't get a bigger number because really you've only seen these two small stretches, the short stretch of time where he was in Sacramento, the short stretch of time where he was in Detroit. And then between those two stretches of time, there's this point where he just can't get his ass off the bench, right? Like you're paying for a quality coach and he just refuses to play you because you have basically these boneheaded plays that just keep happening. So I understand some skepticism if you're you're looking to commit a significant amount of money and time to a player like Christian Wood. But, man, his offensive skill set, it is there. Like, I, I think his offense is the real deal. Um, I think at his price point, you're talking about, like, a third option kind of money, and I think that's, that's fair value for Christian Wood. Um, I'm going to be rooting for him. I, you know – it's been over a year since we were doing preseason for the last season, right? But I was excited about this signing when it happened. It seemed like a very smart, under-the-radar kind of risk-reward, right? Like low-risk but super-high-reward potential sort of flyer. And uh, 
you know, I'm bummed. I was really hoping Christian would come would come back to Detroit and he would sort of lead this young gun revolution. Um, obviously, that's not that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think fair. It's it's a fair risk for Houston. Um, I think he's got a lot of potential. I think probably what you're really scared of if you're the Houston Rockets is that Christian was playing for his first contract and maybe he loses some motivation. Maybe that's your concern. Or maybe defensively, he's just as good as he gets right now. And that's a real limiting factor on, you know, how and when you can play him. Um, but I mean, to me, that that's a very fair price for him. Yeah. Huh. I, I think Houston is a great destination for him in, in that manner, right? Like, he is most effective uh, as like the role man or the picker or the or the popper in the in the pick and roll. He gets to play with perhaps two of the best pick and roll guards in the league in James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So I think he will definitely thrive off the uh, attention the defense is not paying to him because he's not James Harden. Um, I think it was the thing that was curious to me is that the Pistons kind of emphasized like, hey, like yeah, Christian Wood, he's a big priority for us uh, this offseason. Like, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have Christian back. Um, but it seemed like they had a, a really set number like in their mind uh, about what his value was, and he did not share that number. And so I, I wonder kind of where they had, where the, where the team evaluated Christian Woods like worth at. Um, you know, it, and this was something that I wonder about because when, you know, it was a long offseason season. I talked to a bunch of other people. I did a bunch of other podcasts and, you know, Christian Wood, because of the intrigue, because of like the hot streak that he had to end the year was a guy I got asked about a lot. And people had like wildly varying levels of uh, like money that they thought was possible for Christian Wood to get. Right. Like I heard, you know, I heard like a hundred million dollars. I heard like $80 million. I heard like the mid-level. Right. I heard like, you know, you know, ultimately closer to like what he got, like in the like 10 to 15 million dollar range. Um, and so I wonder if the Christians kind of evaluation of where he was, was was higher than the, the teams and, and how much kind of dissonance they were uh, they had in, in, in those scenarios. Uh, I do think it's it's like good that the team was able to sign and trade him shows that there's like no hard feelings. Like, Hey, yes, you probably can't get this much from Houston, but it's where you want to go. So we'll help you out. Um, but yeah, like I, I was also kind of looking forward to Christian Wood kind of leading the young gun revolution. But um, I think part of what Troy Weaver was looking to do across the entirety of the roster was build a team that would compete every night defensively and we don't know if Christian would would do that uh, for the long term for this team. Um, he just hadn't proven it yet. It's not impossible to say that he could do that. It just hadn't been uh, something he had shown yet, right? Like that's not what you were paying him fourteen million dollars a year to do is to to anchor your defense. You're paying him fourteen million dollars a year to you know average you know like 18 20 points a night and shoot like near you know 38 percent from three yeah yeah and he, i mean christian is not his instincts don't tend towards defense right like he's yeah, gonna have yeah. to learn and intentionally develop becoming a team defender and and i think too like i think you're right about houston being a good landing spot because when i watch christian he's almost like a guy who thrives in those broken plays and like street ball, right? Like not super structured, just sort of free flowing, like just trust your instincts, shoot the ball, 
put the ball on the floor. And, um, you know, I, I personally just love watching that. And I think the last thing I'll say about um, kind of my, my whole experience of the last handful of days has been as a fan, it was difficult to see three fan favorites leave the team. Right. Like yeah. I was a fan of Christian Wood. I was a fan of Luke Kennard and I was a fan of Bruce Brown. Like those guys to me, like in the, the nastiness of the last handful of years, like those were three real bright spots. Right. So forgetting, did we get the right value Forgetting all of that stuff? Like, yeah, I mean, this is a fan. I was just bummed to see them all go and I'm going to be cheering for all three of them. And I, I think the upside is you're right. Weaver said, uh, through his actions, like we're going to be willing to treat people fairly. We're going to put them in good landing spots. We're going to work with them on a sign and trade to get them more money. I think all of that speaks well, and I think it's going to earn Weaver some respect in the, the negotiating table in the future. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Uh, speaking of trades, we got a couple more trades that make up the uh, the bulk of the remaining moves for the Pistons. The Pistons traded Trevor Ariza for Daylon Wright in a three-team trade. That's the only part Pistons fans really care about. I did not, you know, look too heavily at what else was going on. But Trevor Ariza for Daylon Wright. Um, Daylon Wright's a point guard. He was in Dallas. He's in Memphis and Toronto, kind of before that. Uh, ben, what do you what do you think about what Daylon Wright can offer for the Pistons? Well, more than Trevor Ariza, <laughs> so <laughs> that's enough, right? <laughs> Nope. Yep. That no. That's a that's a great way to look at it. <laughs> so I, you know, a little bit on the older side. Um, you mentioned point guard being uh, potentially a little bit thin, right? You're talking about Derrick Rose, Killian Hayes, Dalen Wright. I mean, like this is just some insurance, right? This is a, a veteran who is at least capable of giving you competent basketball. Um, should Derrick Rose get hurt? Should Derrick Rose need to rest? Um, gives you a fail safe, I think, for those nights where maybe Killian Hayes is struggling. Um, but you know, obviously not someone who's going to be part of the long-term plans, I don't think. So this is fine. I mean, th- this is another one of the things that this is fine. This gives you a body you can work with uh, and he's better than Trevor Ariza. So take, take that as a win. Yeah. If, if Daylon Wright, if, uh, Killian Hayes is a starter and Derek Rose is the backup, Daylon Wright like wins the Memorial Jose Calderon, Steve Blake, Dwight Bikes, <laughs> right. Pino Udry. Don't forget like, John Lucas the third, right? Like, John Lu- yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is the this is the best kind of tertiary Tim Frazier. Let's not forget right, Tim yeah. Frazier. The best uh, tertiary plan at point guard the Pistons have had in quite some time. Um, Wright can also play off the ball a little bit. And so I think there's like just looking at the roster, right? There's kind of an open question about like who your backup shooting guard is right now, and it might be Daylon Wright just because you know he he's a versatile guard uh, in that way. Um, Wright, his his contract is really nice. He only makes nine million dollars this year and eight point five million dollars the next season. And so if you know Killian Hayes is way better than you expected right away, you can easily like trade Daylon Wright for a point guard uh, or like, you know, promote Saban Lee and trade Daylon Wright and you're fine. Like you will be able, always be able to find someone who wants uh, Daylon Wright. But yeah, like, you know, I like, I like Daylon Wright much, much better than Trevor Ariza. That's a great way of thinking about it. (laughs) It's so funny because when the Pistons traded for Trevor Ariza, I threw a tweet out there like Trevor Ariza is finally a Piston because like 10 years ago, I love Treasure Ariza's game, and I wanted Trevor as a Pistons. Yeah, like, like when he was winning championships with the Lakers. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, it was, it was like, like a... when Jose, I loved Jose Calderon at one point in his career too. But by the time <laughs> the Pistons got him, it was just it was too late. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, yeah, exactly. 
and then last one, thankfully, thank you, Troy Weaver, for getting this one in before we started the podcast. Uh, the Pistons traded Tony Bradley, who they picked up earlier this podcast, for the 38th overall pick. They traded him to Philadelphia for Zaire Smith. If you remember Zaire Smith, Zaire Smith was the guy that Philly was trying to sell us uh, in like a Derrick Rose trade last year. And so now we got him for Tony Bradley, which is way cheaper than Derrick Rose. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this? So I was excited about Tony Bradley, right? Like um, guy who kind of emerged a season ago, but really like a few months ago, <laughs> I feel like. Um, in the bubble. In the right, bubble. Right. Um, so, but flip side of it is like, Zaire is like super high ceiling, right? Like, I mean, if, if he hits and there's, there's probably a lower end of the spectrum chance that, that he does hit, but if he hits, he could hit pretty high. Um, so again, this is just kind of like, okay, we've, we've got a center in Mason Plumley that we're going to play a lot and a couple young guys behind him. Let's flip him into a prospect who he's had some injuries. He spent some time in the G league, you know, maybe, maybe there's something there that we can develop just like, same kind of thinking with Josh Jackson and I'm, I'm all for that. Like I'm, I'm for it at the macro level. I'm for it at the micro level. Um, this is, this to me is totally worth it. If it's, it's worth the wish risk reward, super low risk, uh, potentially really high reward. So I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. I will say the thought of like a, a fast break with Josh Smith on one side and Zaire Smith on, or Josh Jackson on one side and Zaire Smith on the other, yeah. it's gotta be like a terrifying proposition. Right. right? Yeah. And I can't, I can't remember honestly the last time a Pistons team was this uh, had the potential to be this athletic and, and scary uh, in transition. That's some, that's an element uh, we haven't seen out of the Detroit Pistons in, in quite some time. Um, but yeah, Zaire Smith shot like thirty eight percent from three in the G League and can jump out of the gym. So I'm I'm willing to see what he's got. Uh, on honestly, like he could be the backup shooting guard if like training camp break breaks uh, breaks right for him, right? Like the the roster is in a crazy place right now. And so like, yeah, that, okay. That thus ends the, uh, the transactions. <laughs> I've just checked Twitter. The Pistons haven't done anything since we started recording this podcast. So I think we're good. So Ben, uh, after all of that, how do you feel about the kind of the state of the team? Yeah. I, you know, I'm here for the rebuild last. I'm, I'm about this. It is, Oh, well, Ben, some people think that this team is really good, though. <laughs> yeah, well, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, lovingly. I say that affectionately. I know there are some people I think really highly of who, who think this is potentially a pretty good team. I don't see that. I think, you know, there's the one key decision and the one key domino yet to fall, and that's what do the Pistons do with Blake Griffin? I have to think that they want to trade him. Um, to facilitate the larger rebuild of this franchise. Will they be able to? We're, we're going to have to find out. Is he going to stay healthy? Will he be movable? Is there a team who's going to be willing to take a risk on those knees? Like all those questions are still there. Um, but I, I think, you know, there were, I have some criticisms of a few of the small things that they moved, but I think when you take the picture as a whole, like, okay, maybe they can sort of spin from a PR perspective that they're tr- still trying to be competitive, but I think ultimately they're re- they're rebuilding, right? Uh, yeah. Weaver just tore it down. He wants to start over and shape the team in his image, and you're, you're talking about a few years before this team is really even thinking about competing, and I am just so ready for that. It has been 12 years of needless futility. Um, you know, Sean on, on the site had a, a more critical 
perspective, which I think he wrote the night yesterday. Yeah, yesterday yeah. and maybe the day before. Um, there are some, I think, legitimate concerns in that piece. Um, I, I think there are some real concerns about did they lock themselves too much into this salary profile that they have? Those are real questions. Um, well, but- the answer to that is no. Like I'm, I am staring at the sheet right now, and the and Blake and Jeremy Grant are the only people on the team who make uh, more than ten million dollars a year. So the the answer is no, right? Like the, they are not, and uh, Jeremy Grant and the rookies are the only people who will be here in 2023 if nothing else happens. Right. So this team is very, very, uh, it has a lot of, they have a lot of optionality, right? Like they have a lot of short contracts for uh, relatively like low amounts of money. They can make a trade. Um, they can absorb more contracts. You can cut some of the guys on the two ways and stuff to, uh, to get more players in a Blake Griffin trade. And so like, this is not this, like this roster has a lot of money like on it, but this is not like the 2017 roster where like you can't trade Reggie Jackson because he makes $17 million and you can't trade uh, Langston Galloway because he makes $7 million and you can't trade John Luer because he makes $20 more million over the life of his deal. And so like, yeah, the, the, the optionality is there. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, that's, I'm glad that you did. I think that's, that's a completely fair response to it. You know, it's, here's how i'd sum it up like from the macro perspective i'm i'm a fan of what's happening i think from the micro perspective there's some things that i think were not necessary i don't think it was necessary for example to to stretch deadman and end up with what is it three and a half million dollars or whatever dead weight on the books like i I just don't yeah i don't don't think that's ever desirable like you don't ever want that i don't like sending four second rounders away with luke Kennard. Um, but then the flip side is, well, they were able to buy one with cash this year. And then when you look at the big picture, like of how many picks they sent out and how many they brought in, it's almost a wash, right? Like it's pretty close. I think they gave up two more second rounders in total or something like that. So like, yeah, I'm here for it, Laz. I'm I'm excited that this is a real, genuine rebuild, no matter what the spin cycle is going to say in the, in the PR. Like Weaver's doing his thing. He's going to tear it down. And even though I don't love a couple of the things, like I, I think there's a real chance that, um, you know, he he's going to take a whole lot of bites at the apple, and a few of them are going to taste real good. I think is what's ultimately <laughs> happen. Yeah, I think that I think that the the fact that some people still think that this team can be competitive is a real indication that like Weaver like did a great job of building a tanking team, right? Like <laughs> yeah. the so the most important position in the NBA are wings, right? Like ball creating shot, creating wings. Uh, the Pistons currently have like nobody who's guaranteed to be able to do that. Uh, the closest thing is uh, the closest things they have are like Jeremy Grant and Seku, both of whom we both think might be better suited as like fours rather than threes. Yeah. Um, they have good guard play. They have uh, actually, they don't have, they don't have that many centers anymore, which I guess is good. Um, and they have centers you've heard of, and they have Blake. But like on the wing, it's like you know, Svi, Roddy Magruder, Zaire Smith, Zanin Musa, Seku, Sadiq Bay, Josh Jackson, Lewis King. Like none of those guys. Like Kawhi comes to town, and like he's gonna like rip all those dudes to shreds, mm-hmm. right? So like this team, this team is going to get out talented most nights. What I think they won't do, which is by design, and it's, it's a credit to Troy Weaver 
is I think that they will compete. They will literally like compete every night. Like Troy Weaver has done a great job of assembling uh, a roster of individuals who are strong minded uh, and who are, you know, always willing to put in the work in order to make themselves better. Um, I don't think this is a team that's going to win a bunch of games, but I also don't think this is a team that's going to like, they're um, going to kind of just like shuffle in like zombies uh, after they've lost five games in a row. And you can kind of see the heads all hanging. I think this is a group of individuals who uh, will you know, continue to kind of hold themselves to a standard, even if they're not winning games. I think that's good. Yeah, um, I think that there's, there's losing games and there's how you're losing games. Right. Yes. I think this is, you know, this is being set up for a team that can lose games the right way. If they're, <laughs> you're losing right. because you're really young, you're losing because you're not yet committed to your core of players, and you're you're not losing because guys have given it up and thrown in the towel, right? You're you're just losing because yeah. you're really young and inexperienced and are not a finished product. Yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna lose a lot of games this year because they don't make a lot of threes. They're gonna be nights where they play good defense and teams just like make like. Th- five more threes than them and that's 15 points and that's the ball game yeah 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 all right ben this has been an hour but we we had a lot of stuff to cover <laughs> uh, i'm actually impressed that it was an hour there was so much we could have said right oh yeah that's true well we did ourselves some favors by just like do you want to talk about jordan bone like nah. no, not really <laughs> do you do you want to talk about triple overtime against Rutgers? oh gosh I was, <laughs> that was brutal i just wanted to go to bed um wow Cade McNamara, though, like, I don't know if he's going to be the starter moving forward, but he sure looks like the savior at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, lot of saviors this year. I and, mean, of course, I gave the big belly laugh, but, like, I was very relieved to not have to watch them lose to Maryland on Saturday. So that was, that was pretty <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was, oh, man, it, had they lost, I think Harbaugh would have either quit or gotten fired, like, today. So that, <laughs> that kind of drama, we the, you just don't need it. So Yeah. Hey, you know, Penn State next week. Penn State is uh, the opposite of undefeated. So, hey, you got to <laughs> the Detroit Lions of the uh, Big Ten right East. Yeah. Uh, all right, Ben. Uh, this is fun. I'm, I'm glad to have the team back. I'm glad to uh, be starting the pod. We're going to be doing the podcast weekly again. So I know it's been sporadic, but, you know, get ready to hear us uh, Monday morning, bright and early in your earbuds. Uh, ben, uh, do you want to let people know uh, where they can follow you, where they can find uh, what you've been up to? Yeah, hit me up on Twitter at BRGulker. I'm trying to hop in the comments because I'm honestly more excited about this Pistons team than I've been in a while um, be- because I think I think this is the start of something really interesting and, and hopefully something really good. Yeah. Maybe, maybe promised- I'll even write a little bit. Hey, there you go. You promised me a disagreement. I brought in the crossfire, Jeff, or the, <laughs> the I was, crossfire. You know, but I was so wound up the night of free agency. I really was. I really didn't yeah. like Plumley deal. I really, I, and it's not even about Mason Plumley. It was just like they had done all these really good, interesting young things, and then they've spent what feels like a lot of money on two guys who so it's like, uh, eh. But I don't yeah. know. A couple days removed from it, and I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on the things I'm interested in and excited about. Um, and choose to be choose to be positive about it. No, I I mean I I told a couple of people this. I like the the positive kind of big picture thing I wrote Saturday morning. I don't think I could have written that had I like witnessed 
the uh the entirety of the first night of free agency like live i fell asleep early i know i cracked up when i saw it i'm like no wonder Laz feels balanced he just got a great night's sleep he's feeling good we all suffered through it in real time yeah you guys are like up at 3 a.m because daylon wright's getting <laughs> traded like i would have been pissed too yeah. uh of course you can get uh get more like sage thoughts from me uh after i get a full night's sleep on twitter at Laz chance that's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Um, well, I mean, like, I will also probably be writing more just because there's more to to write about. And so uh, I am really looking forward to what this Pistons team looks like when we see everybody on the floor for the first time in nine months. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. All right. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening. And I, ooh, I, this feels good. We'll talk to you guys next week. Not, I, like I don't it. know. I like next it. week. Yeah, yeah. See ya.